It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each and every week we talk about sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic. We've got a gambling segment. Finally, we're back to football season that we can talk about although we talked about gambling last week, too. And my favorite part of the podcast where you can ask me a question on anything, go to Twitter each week, hit the hashtag, hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick, um, I did go 2-1 and one last week. My Hawaii pick I didn't I gave out was not good. My Scott Frost anti-pick worked out beautifully with Northwestern, and then I played Illinois by myself. So I did, I did, it was, it was, an, it was a 2-1 start. I'll take a 2-1 start. Uh, Skinny, I am the guy who's always, you shouldn't bet on preseason NFL football and week zero isn't really real college football necessarily. The last two weeks I've bet on both preseason football and week zero college football. I got greedy after the preseason week. I went undefeated. I was, Hey, five and oh preseason NFL. I'm, I'm going to get hot to start the year. Right? right. I came crashing back down to reality last Saturday on week zero when I went one for seven. So Ooh. yeah. Ooh. Not great. Scott Frost got me, and that's on me. You tried to talk me out of it. You told me it was Scott Frost. I was uh, bought into having a Texas quarterback and the under with the, the travel overseas to Ireland, and uh, it, it cost me. So hoping to get back on track this week. Yeah, I mean, the, the onside kick may still be the dumbest thing I've ever watched <laughs> in my life. What happens if they get it, though? Well, guess what they did? They didn't get it. No, they really didn't. <laughs> no, they didn't. That, yeah, that, that's the key. Rick, you can play that game all day of what happens if. I'm a big – there's a, the, old, the old coach at Kentucky, Jerry Claiborne, and we would ask questions like that as the media, and he goes, boys, I ain't playing the if-in game today. And I, I always love that answer. I ain't playing the if-in game. What if? Unfortunately, Scott Frost did, and he might have lost his job long term. It hasn't happened yet, but yes. it, it more than likely will, and people will point back to that no game. Question. No question. Uh, we're going to talk plenty of college football because it gets underway tonight. It's Thursday morning as we're yes. recording this. But first, a little Bengals talk here because I want to just go into nothing but college football here after this. Okay. The Bengals' first 53-man roster of the year was announced on Tuesday as NFL Cut Day arrived. I have a few things to get to about this. The most notable name to get cut from the Bengals was Hunter Drew Chrisman. What do you think went into the decision to keep Kevin Huber over Chrisman, Skinny? Darren Simmons just didn't think he was quite ready. When with the bright lights coming on, and um, I, I think it always comes down to comfortability and, and trust. And um, I said this on a podcast I did with a, a friend that covers the the team yesterday. When you look back at all of this in retrospect, in retrospect, this was more Kevin's job to lose than it was Drew's possibility to win. And Kevin didn't lose it. I thought Drew came damn close to winning it. But Kevin never lost it now that you look back on it. And I think it just comes down to tight situation, um, big game, holding, punting. Who do you trust? And you can trust Kevin. And it worked out great that they got Drew back on the practice squad. I don't know how long that's going to last because I'm going to guess some team at some point will pluck him. Or the Bengals after two or three weeks go, Kevin, we thought this, you know, we thought this was the right decision. You got nothing left in your leg. Um, we're going with the younger guy hanging around because we may call you back. So maybe they get the best of all worlds here. But I, I truly thought after Saturday, I thought I, I've been in Drew's camp for the last two weeks. And it was funny when I asked Zach, Zach Taylor the question yesterday, of what came into the decision? Why, why Kevin over Drew? And he said, Kevin had a great last two weeks of camp. And I do think that it comes down to 
Kevin didn't lose the job. Yeah, that's a good point because we talked about it before training camp even really started. And you kept saying, hey, this punter battle is going to be interesting. Maybe the most interesting position battle on the team as we head into training camp. And we both talked about the fact that it felt like Drew Chrisman was really half going to have to go above and beyond to take this job away from Kevin Huber because you have so much familiarity with him. He's had such a long and strong career with the Bengals, and he's part of that unit that's has to do with Evan McPherson and, and him making field goals. Now, that didn't seem to affect anything when they are rotating a different snapper, a different holder for him in the preseason. Andrew Chrisman looked pretty darn good. So I think we we started to buy in the idea that, okay, maybe Chrisman is going to take it, but you're exactly right. What it came down to in the end is they just need to see that Kevin Huber wasn't slipping, and he yes. didn't. He looked fine. Yeah, and, and and it was interesting because I talked to Darren on – I always get my days mixed up when this stuff t- happens. I think on Wednesday and wrote a piece about it on Friday, um, and the piece was could this be the last game for, for Kevin Huber as a Bengal. And in my conversation with, with Darren that day, I had I sworn when I walked away that he was basically saying goodbye to Kevin. And I thought, okay, you've made up your mind. Because I even asked, I said, how's the holding gone for Drew? And he said, night and day from last year, man. He said – Last year at this time, he was a mess. Um, he was nowhere close. He said he's come light years, and, and honestly, now I can't tell the difference between him and Kevin. And I thought, okay, well, that's checkbox one, bigger leg, checkbox two. I mean, it felt like the conversation was Darren had moved on too, but, you know, in the end, I think it comes down to as a coach and myself as a coach. There's sometimes I'll play a kid and people will look and go, why are you playing that? Because I trust him. I trust him to be in the right place. I trust him to do the right things. He may not be as athletically gifted as another person, but I, I trust him. And I, 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 as a coach, trust is a big thing, as you know, right? It is. Well, one of the other guys I wanted to ask you about was undrafted rookie free agent cornerback Alan George. What were your thoughts on him making the team? Yeah, it, you know, so he was kind of a story leading up to the first preseason game because he was flashing in camp. And then the first preseason game came and he wasn't very good. He got called for a pass interference. And it was like, okay, kid, you know, practice is one thing, games are another. And the thing that was really impressive about him was he bounced back so well from that game um, in camp practices, in those joint practices with the Rams, um, in the games he played after that, that it was like, that to me spoke spoke more than anything else of a kid who was kind of a fast rise and then it was a fall off and then it was a bounce back. And what do corners in this league have to learn to do, right? Bounce, bounce back. back. Yeah. And he did a great job of that. Yeah. It's funny because you see him making plays in some of those later preseason games. And I think as fans, we always, it's something to watch. So we're all tuned in. And when you see a guy make a big play in one of the, a game that looks like it matters or, or it, it feels like a real game while you're watching on TV, you, you start thinking, oh, this guy, we might have something here. This guy should get more looks or what, what have you. And a lot of the times, especially when you're talking about a, a guy on the back end of the defensive rotations, you know, a cornerback who's second, third, fourth on the list, and he's undrafted rookie free agent, the chances of that guy actually making a team are very, very small. In this case with Alan George, I mean, they must have really seen something because he did put some plays out there on film during those preseason games, but it always comes down to a whole lot more in that, more than that. And you've got to show it every day in practice. And even then, there are still going to be politics and contracts that other guys are already getting paid money, certain things like that, that you're going to have to overcome to make a team. Anytime you see the undrafted rookie free agent sticking on a roster, it's pretty impressive. 
Yeah, and it didn't hurt that it didn't hurt that Cam Taylor Britt got hurt too. He'll probably yeah. go on. In fact, he he will go on IR today. There's a lot of procedural stuff they had to get through yesterday. But yeah, um, you know, if Cam Taylor Britt doesn't get hurt, then Alan George is on the practice squad, and it still may be the case of them looking to find a corner that would put Alan George on the practice squad. But the thing, like I said, that impressed me was after he, he wasn't an unmitigated disaster in the preseason game, the first one, he just struggled. And then he came back and it was like, man, he's gotten even better. And I, I think that spoke volumes to the coaching staff of, hey, this kid did struggle. Yeah, we saw it. And guess what? Like any good corner in this league, he put it behind him. And then against the Rams, he was really good. And that was the most impressive part to me. And uh, it, it was a great story. And the funny part too, the other part, it ain't like he's played against Chop Liver, man. He played in the SEC. I mean, he played against some dudes, right? So it's not like he came from Sam Houston State and go, oh, this is cute. Dude, he played on a bad team in the SEC at Vanderbilt, but he played in the SEC. What about cutting the big defensive tackle Tyler Shelvin? Does that just speak to the confidence in some of those younger guys that we've been talking about throughout the preseason? No. No, it speaks to the fact that he can't play. I mean, it speaks to the fact <laughs> that he's just a big blob, unfortunately. And, it, and he's, he's a great kid. and. Um, he's a big unit, and he did get back to the practice squad. They did resign him to that because I think they at least there's some potential there. But I, when they took him, I mean, he's 342 pounds. Their hope was he was going to be a a a run stopping, gap stuffing, occasional nose guard when they go to the five man front, and he just has never shown that. He's not very athletic. He's too big. Um, there's obviously potential there. Uh, but yeah, that 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 from that draft class, and that's been a really good draft class to this point. That from that draft class has has been the bust. One of the other topics that has talked about the last I don't know twenty four hours or so now, and we'll probably find more about this here on Thursday today as we're recording this. Free agent tight end OJ Howard of the Bills. The Bills cut him. Was former first rounder of the Bucks. He had signed with Buffalo in the offseason, but didn't make it past their final round of cuts with the Bills, despite being guaranteed over $3 million. A lot of talk about the Bengals potentially bringing him in. What do you think about the Bengals signing OJ Howard? I don't think it's going to happen now. And, and um, I think yesterday was the writing on the wall when they, uh, I'm, this is only guessing and surmising, but I, 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 I think it came to fruition. So they, they claim three guys off waivers, including a tight end. Uh, my guess is they didn't think they were going to get the tight end. They got on waivers because they were picking 31st. So OJ Howard was the backup plan. And so you bring him in, you kick the tires. You don't assume you're going to get this kid. Suddenly you get this kid and it's, oh, thanks, OJ. Have a good day. And I think that's where we were at with that. I think he's he's a complete fallback plan if something were to happen you know, down the road this year. Maybe somebody else signs him. I didn't think there was much tread left on those tires. He's not been a very good pl- player in the NFL. The Bengals would have been his third team in three years. That speaks volumes to me. But I think it was a, it was nothing but a safety net, and that safety net went away when they signed a, a kid who's caught all of two passes for New England in his career. So I think that ship is is has sailed for the time being. Yeah, OJ Howard, he had an Achilles injury, and he's had some other injuries that have probably slowed him down. We've seen what he's been over the last few years, but I, I found it interesting because as soon as this popped up about the Bengals being interested in him, there were some writers and other people who are on social media who got got excited, were like. Well, the Bengals really liked him in that John Ross draft. They wanted to draft him coming out. And they did. And they and that, that, and that's, sure. that part's true. Okay, sure. That's great. But what the hell does that have to do with right now? Like, he clearly that's isn't correct. the guy that they thought he was going to be in that draft. He's clearly been hurt since then and isn't the same player that he was when he was young and with the Bucks. I mean, why would the Bengals wanting to draft him instead of John Ross or during that John Ross draft have anything to do with why he would be a good pickup now? I don't understand that. 
No, I'm with you on that. But they, 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 there's two two things can be true. One part is true that yes, they did like him in that in that John Ross draft, and two, the other part that's true is he's just not very good any longer. And the other part is again, this was complete insurance. This this speaks to the fact that Mitchell Wilcox will probably go on IR today, and they didn't like the rest of their room. It's funny they kept three tight ends on the practice squad but I don't think they felt comfortable about any of the three right now being the third tight end, Thad Moss, Justin Rigg, Nick Eubanks. I don't think they felt any good about any of those guys being the third tight end on the roster at this point. So the fact that then they signed a kid who um, played in New England for a couple of years was a former, uh, you know, I can't remember if he was a third round or fourth round pick, but a decent round pick a couple of years ago um, to be the third tight end. And in theory, that third tight end is either a special teams guy or he's inactive on game day. Do you need O.J. Howard to be that guy? No, not for three or four, not for the four weeks or whatever it's going to be. Mitchell Wilcox is on IR. No. And I mean, at the end of the day, I think the Bengals having Hayden Hurst and whoever that second tight end is. It's true, it's true sample. It's he's still, they, they like him, whether we like him or not, they like him. Yeah. I, e- either way, you, you've like, I don't feel like they're in terrible shape after losing CJ Uzama. They don't have good depth in that, at that position, obviously, but I think they've made up for it enough that there's not like a gaping hole there after you lost CJ Zama. Right. No, that's right. Out of the new guys, the Bengals added yesterday. Do any of them intrigue you? No, uh, the, the guard sharping does, uh, you know, he started uh, 33 games over the last three years for Houston and we can giggle and go, well, it was just Houston and that's fair, but he did start 33 games, played all 48 or played 48 games over that span uh, out of 49 potential games. I, I think this, I think that move, Tells you even more of what you need to know about Jackson Carmen, to be quite frank, that they 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 don't even trust him as a backup, in my opinion, at this point. Uh, yeah, that's I was going to go there next, because that was one of the other things that we I mean, kind of already knew this because Cordell Volson has basically been taking the first team snaps for the last couple of weeks and, and with Zach, those and practices Zach, against the Rams. Yeah. And then Zach Taylor yesterday made it official. He's our starting left guard. Right. Exactly. That's I was going to say. So. Thinking of that, and like you just said, the fact that they are bringing in another left guard to compete for that second spot. Do you look back at that Jackson Carmen selection now and think, I mean, thank God the Bengals got a lot of other things right, namely the Jamar Chase selection, because they went and did something that everyone felt at the time was an absolute necessity, finding an offensive lineman that could play as soon as possible and be a difference maker to help protect Joe Burrow was an absolute must going into last offseason and going into that draft. And they took a guy who was a project, an admitted project, a guy that they felt they were going to have to change positions with, and a guy that it seemed like physically had the tools, but mentally and football-wise was a little behind the curve, and they took a chance on him in a year where they really couldn't do that. Now, again, a lot of other things fell into place for them, fortunately, and Joe Burrow's Joe Burrow. But looking at that draft pick now, they really screwed that Jackson Carmen pick up. Yeah, and that was, that's been a great draft and could be even better if Joseph Osai is what we think Joseph Osai is because that was a draft that got Jamar Chase. And you can say, well, that was easy. Well, it wasn't that easy because it was the Penny Sewell versus Jamar Chase draft, right? Right, so right. and I still I still think that was the right play, obviously. I'm not, I'm oh, not relitigating that. No, I know it was. No, I know it was the right play. I'm just saying. So, you know, you got that part right. You got the Evan McPherson part right. You might get the Joseph Osai part. I mean, they did a lot of great things in that draft. Um, but the Jackson Carmel one is a head scratcher. And the one thing I would say, if there's a knock still on Duke Tobin and his scouting staff is they have not drafted offensive linemen worth a dung. I mean, it's been 
bad, man. From the Cedric Obwehi, Jake Fisher draft, to Billy Price, to, uh, I mean, look, you can say, well, Jonah. Okay, Jonah's fine. Jonah was kind of safe and easy. Jonah hasn't been great. He's been he's been a pro, and he's a, he's a solid pro. He isn't a first-round level all or Pro Bowl guy yet, which, I mean, if you're taking a guy in the first round, your hope is eventually that's a Pro Bowl caliber guy. He's not even close to that yet. So, I, but I can't say they messed that up, but excuse me, but you look at a lot of their offensive line picks, Rick, my lands, did they mess a lot of that up? There's been some bad ones. And, and it oftentimes seems to come in this form when it seems like they're doing a little bit of reaching, reaching or trying right. to outsmart everybody right. else. And that's exactly what the Jackson Carmen situation appeared to be. Yeah. Um, and it was a head scratcher that night. And it's a bigger head scratcher today. It became a bigger head scratcher when the 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 uh, the defector story came out about what he allegedly did. Yeah. Um. I, there, there's a lot of things involved with this that make it a head scratcher. Yeah. That, I mean, the the defector story and the rape allegations are a whole nother wrinkle that the Bengals apparently knew about when they drafted him too, which makes you scratch your head even harder. But anyway, right. skinny. Were there any other roster moves that surprised you this week for the Bengals? No, and, and probably by the time this podcast is out, the, the, the procedural moves, <clears throat> excuse me, will be made of of Cam. I, you know, I, I'm sure people yesterday are going, wait a minute, you you cut Brandon Allen? I mean, he's the backup quarterback. And I know there was some groundswell for Jake Browning. Um, that was very procedural because when they claim the three guys on waivers, the rule is you can't, the, the tit-for-tat move for that can't be putting three guys on IR. So they had to clear three roster spots. So goodbye, Travion Williams. Goodbye, Uncle Mike, Mike Thomas, the safety. Goodbye, Brandon Allen. Um, and then today they can then make their IR moves, and the IR moves that they can make for these guys they carry to the 53-man can then be guys that can return. So that'll be Cam Taylor-Britt, that'll be Khalid Kareem, and that may be Mitch Wilcox and maybe Isaiah Prince as well. Because you still have to clear a roster spot for Jesse Bates. They'll bring Brandon Allen back. I think they'll bring Uncle Mike back. Um the question was asked about the wide receiver, Mike Thomas, who was cut on Tuesday. Zach Taylor said they want to bring him back. So there, there, there's some guys they've cut that they will bring back. It's There's a lot of procedural stuff to this. So that for, for I, it's not surprising, but for people that look and go, wait a minute, why are they cutting these guys? Or, oh, that was cool. They cut those guys. I didn't like Brandon Allen. I like Jake Browning. No, 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 no. Brandon Allen will be back on this roster unless somebody else signs him. All right, we talked about it at the top of the podcast, Skinny. College football is upon us, finally. It all gets started tonight with a handful of games, but you'll have to wait until Saturday to watch the local teams. I'm going to get to each of the local teams here in a second, but I'll just start off with this. Skinny's choice, what one thing are you most excited to see this weekend? can be a game, can be a storyline, a player, anything you want. doesn't have to be local. All of it. I'm excited <laughs> for football. all of it. All just of grass, it. turf yes. flying. Yes. Paint I, trading. No, all of it. I really, truly am. All of it. I, I can't really say anything more than that. All of it's pretty tough to beat. So we'll get right into the uh, local team. Cincinnati will get things going with a 3.30 p.m. kickoff at number 19, Arkansas, on Saturday. We still don't know who the starting quarterback will be. Is Luke yes, Fickle? We, re- yes, we do. <laughs> well, Luke Fickle is refusing to publicly tell us whether Ben Bryant or Evan Prater was the winner of their position battle. What do you think of coaches withholding their starters until the first game? Do you think that matters? I don't. I don't. It's so funny. I mean, I, I does it give you maybe a slight advantage for a series? Maybe. Maybe that series matters. I guess that's where coaches go, hey, every point matters, every play matters, every series matters. So, yeah, maybe it matters for the series. But once you see the guy, you either a have have had film on that guy, um, 
or you've already seen him now in person. So yeah, I, I don't. I I find it funny. I find it comical. Actually, coaches are so weird. They are so <laughs> weird in that way. I. That's so true. It's you know it's so goofy. I you know Brian Kelly's not naming his starter, and I saw another coach is not naming. Okay, that's fine. Does it give you advantage for for the for the first quarter of your opener? Usually against Schlock State, although in this case for UC it's against a good opponent for LSU. It's against Florida State, which used to be a good opponent, and I don't know if it is anymore. Um, so yeah, maybe does it matter there? Yeah, sure. It oh, okay, but yeah, these guys they're so co- college football coaches. I think are goofier than anybody. I, they I, are. More than more than even college basketball coaches, or they are they're the goofiest lot in the business. Coaches in general are just a weird breed, but football college football coaches are definitely the weirdest of the group. Yes, I, like to me, does it make a difference in the score? Actually, no, I don't think it does at all. Really, like holding back your starters, I don't think the other team's changing that much of what they're doing. Based and even in Cincinnati's case, where you do have two quarterbacks that in theory are going to be a little bit different in style, right? If you have Evan Prater, you're more worried about his ability to make plays out of pocket and run than you are with Ben Bryant. So there, there is a little bit of a difference there, but like our team's really going to change their personnel or change their whole system in the first game or the first quarter of a game based on which quarterback you start. No, probably not. It probably doesn't make any difference in the actual score. But the one thing I will say is the fact that coaches are so weird about wanting to do this and thinking that it matters and obsessing over this silly stuff probably means that their opponents are similar in some way. So I don't actually think it really does anything, but I do think the coaches are weird about it and bothers them and they want to find out. So maybe the, the, you know, the other team's coaching staff is spending more time on message boards trying to figure the answer to this out or something. And, and maybe in theory, you think that helps you. I don't know. I don't get it, but the coaches are going to coach. This is what they do. I've been, I've always been a big John Wooden coach in that regard where, you know what? I'm going to do what we do, and if we do it better than them, we're probably going to win. That, that I've always been that. Look, do I do I believe in scouting? Sure. Do I believe in looking at underneath out-of-bounds stuff and some stuff that teams like to do, and maybe if they press or don't press? Sure, I like to see that. Am I going to change anything I do because of that? Probably not. I'm, I'm just a big believer, in, and I, I think most coaches are probably this way too. I mean, if you're Luke Fickle, are you changing a whole lot of things be, be, because of your quarterback situation, yes, I do. I know Ben Bryant and, and Evan Prater have different skill sets. I do know there's going to be different packages for each of them. But at the at the core of what you do, are you changing the core of what you are? No. Right. And if you are, you're probably not going to be a great football team. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And and by the way, I think this is very different from something like scouting because that this that's part of why I don't think this actually matters at all. Because you know what the opposing coaching staff at Arkansas has done the last few months. They've seen every throw that Evan Prater has made in a UC right. uniform and every snap that he's taken. And they've done the same thing with Ben Bryant throughout his career. So sure. it's not like they're being surprised by either of what these guys do or what they might, what type of packages they might try to throw in there or wrinkles if those guys are on the field. So the coaching staff knows what they're going to do, whether either guy is on the field. It does not really matter. Yeah. Holy cow, that Prater kid can really run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're not going to be surprised by all. it. Yes. And I'm going to guess somewhere along the line, some member of Arkansas's coaching staff recruited Evan Prater at some point, wherever right. that was. I guarantee you that there's some tentacle that somebody on that staff saw him even back to high school. Yeah, oh, I I wouldn't even be surprised if they watched film of him from right. high school leading right. up to this game. Like, that's just how these guys are wired. Plus, not to mention, they've got 17,000 people on staff, and they have to justify roles for all of them, and they're making billions of dollars. So, I mean, you might as well have some staffer just go back and watch a bunch of random film yes. that he doesn't need to watch. Yes. Now, that being said, 
biggest storyline for UC heading into this year? What is it in your opinion? Is it just the quarterback situation? No, I, I think it's, can they sustain? Because I think that's the national narrative. Oh, that was cute what Cincinnati did last year. Um, we, we'll forget about them this year. You know, we don't have to think. Well, I'm here to tell you, if they do beat Arkansas, Rick, and I've thought about this a lot, and I'm not making a revelation here, but if they do beat Arkansas, and that's not a huge if. It's still an if. They're an underdog, and Arkansas on paper is good, but I, I'm not so sure UC is not better, which we might get to here in a second. If they do beat Arkansas, do you dare to dream again of running the table? I think you do. You have to, right? I mean, you you do have a home game against Indiana, which I don't think anyone expects them to be very good this year, but I guess in theory it's another uh, Power 5 opponent, but at least that one's at home. And then you have really a pretty weak American Athletic Conference schedule, right? Yeah, I think they've got – I can't remember if they've they, – they don't play either Houston or SMU. I'm, I'm doing this off the top of my head. I they know don't they, play Houston this year. They don't play Houston. So they play SMU, which is pretty good. And At they play SMU. UCF, and they yeah. play UCF, and UCF's pretty good. At so UCF. So that's that's tough back-to-back weeks there right. when you go at SMU, at UCF in late October. Yeah. So <clears> – <throat> um, but, but I think you dare to dream it, right? Yeah, you have to. I mean, it's not I don't even think it's a dream at that point. If you beat Arkansas at Arkansas, then I'm not saying it's likely that UC runs the schedule, but you absolutely start talking about it because they're not going to be an underdog the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I was reading a, a, um, a piece uh, Justin Williams from The Athletic did uh, I, maybe a week or so ago, whatever it was where he was projecting the, the UC depth chart and the starters and the backups. And um, as I'm reading through it, I'm like, wait a minute, that guy was, that guy's was a backup last year or, or this guy's now a backup. Now the one thing, and I said this, I was on with our friend Chad Brendel yesterday on ESPN 1530. We talked mostly Bengals, but he asked me about th- this game and I, I kind of was bringing this point up to him too. So I'll bring it up on the podcast. This coaching staff has done such a great job the last few years of playing a lot of guys, a lot of meaningful snaps. They like to play True. first string defense. It was one in one, a guys, right? And I, I told, I said, Chad, I said, hey, you got to have the talent to be able to do it. You can't just say we're going to do it just because. But I think they realize we've got a lot of talented guys. We need to get them snaps for experience. And now when you have all the guys that you look and go, my Jay Sanders and Kobe Bryant and, and Sauce and Dez and all these guys going by the wayside in the NFL draft and making NFL out, Pierce, whatever, there's more Brian Cook. You Then you look up and I'm looking and going, wait, I know that guy. And oh, I know that guy. And oh, I know who that is. And I'm not a, I'm a Kentucky guy, right? I'm not, a, but I know enough about UC, but I know names for sure. And that to me tells me they've played a lot of these guys enough meaningful snaps where I'm not so sure this is, this is too big for these guys. I, I, that's the thing that I think Luke Fickle's done a spectacular job of, of repping multiple guys, multiple snaps. Cause in college football, you need multiple guys. It's just the way of the world. And that tells me how talented they are and that they're not going to probably miss a beat. I would agree with that. And I think all of that matters at the same time. The thing I'm most interested in seeing with this UC team is that defense without all the talent that you just named, namely sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant, because those guys were so locked down. Yes. they. I mean, you just weren't going to get beat. They weren't going to make mistakes. You're not going to get thrown over the top of, I mean, even against Alabama, they held up skinny. Sure. You yeah, know, no, you're I mean, right. it, they were really impressive in that regard. You're just not going to be that consistent and that dominant again at those spots. So the question is, 
how big will the overall drop off be, especially on that defensive side of the ball? And especially when it comes to giving up the big play, if you give up two or three or four more big plays a game, how big of a difference does that make for this team? Because you're probably going to take a a step back in all the other aspects, just a little bit too. And the defense would be my big concern. and, And I think Arkansas will give them a very legitimate test on the road. Yeah, I mean, K.J. Jefferson's back as their quarterback. He's a dynamic player, and you're going to get tested in that regard you're talking about right away. Um, but I don't think the drop-off is as big as we think it is. I mean, I, I get it. I get it from a national perspective. I get all those things. But when I start looking at those names and I go, I watched him play, and I watched him play, and I watched him play, and I watched them all play meaningful snaps, and, you know, you get you get the, the Pace brothers now together and what they have a chance. To, I mean, dude, it's a, it's a really good football team. It really is. All right, Kentucky is second in line for the local teams. They'll kick off against Miami of Ohio at 7 p.m. Skinny, what's the biggest storyline you'll be watching with this UK team as we start the season? Um, Will Levis without Wandale Robinson, is he as good? Um, you know, the hype was, remember, there were some some things after the NFL draft. The early projection for 2023 was Will Levis as a top five pick, and in a couple of places, Will Levis might be the number one overall pick. Um, what's he going to be like without Wandale Robinson? Unfortunately, there's no Chris Rodriguez. I, I don't think this matters against Miami. I don't think it matters against any of the non-conferences. It may matter when you get into the league. They they do have... They play Kvasi Florida week two. Yeah, right, right. Again, yeah, against Florida. Um, they do have Cavassier Smoke, who's got great experience. They've got a transfer. Um, they've got Juton McClain, the Fairfield product. I think they're they're deep enough at running back to, to kind of make up for it, but I think Chris is a big difference maker. But they've got, you know, they're going to start a true freshman at wide receiver. Um, you know, they got a Virginia Tech transfer at wide receiver. They, you know, there's a lot of new parts at that position group that I'm excited about to see. But Wandale Robinson was so stinking good. I mean, he was a difference maker. Uh, he could take a six-yard hitch and make it an 80-yard play. He could get over the top of the defense. Um he was way more than what I even anticipated he was going to be when he came from Nebraska. And I watched him at Nebraska knowing this dude's a really good player. He was a difference maker. How is Will Levis going to be with, with the eyes on him now as, as, as potential, you know, number one overall NFL draft pick and without a dynamic receiver in Wandale Robinson? It may not show itself against Miami, but I, I, to me, the, 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 the significant play of their opener last year, was early on they, they threw a long play action pass to him, I think to showcase everything that, hey, look at our new offense, look at our new weapons, look at the things we can do, and it made me go, wow, look at the potential of this. I'd love to see that early on, on Saturday night of, okay, Will, you're fine, and freshman speedster, you're fine, and I'm all's right with the world. Hey, you're talking about them having some new pieces there. That That's going to be something big to watch with that offensive line too. Yes, yes. Because you have some experienced guys up there, but they haven't played, that none of them have ever played together. Yeah, and I think they're starting a true freshman on the offensive front as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, a mixed bag up there. Really, the whole offense, other than Will Levis, is just going to be a bunch of different guys starting together for the first time for the most part. And, so. a new, and, an, and a new coordinator. Liam Cohen left to go to the Rams to be coordinator. They got a guy – they plucked a guy off the, the San Francisco staff, so kind of the the uh, the Kyle Shanahan tree through the Sean McVay tree, all those things. Um, so, yeah, and they're, they're talking about using multiple tight ends, which they didn't use – Last year, the last, and and they they feel really good about that position group. There's a couple of local guys from Moeller, um, in in that group of the tight ends. So, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I think the whole offense as a whole is is really interesting to watch. I think the defense is going to be really really good again. You mentioned their the guy that would be their starting running back, Chris Rodriguez. He's not going to play in this game. 
It sounds like he's not going to be back for week two, according to Mark Stoops. Yep. They haven't said that this is necessarily a suspension, at least not for the DUI that he received in the offseason. What do you make of this whole situation? It feels like everybody kind of knows what's going on, but no one wants to say it publicly. Yeah, I've, I've also been told and I probably shouldn't just say this on the podcast and maybe it's out there. I don't know about, but I've been told that there, there's an NIL issue here as well, that he, he didn't go through some proper channels from NIL to where um, uh, he didn't go to compliance when he was supposed to go to compliance. And I don't think it was anything egregious. I don't think he understood the the NIL situation. So I think it's also NIL related too. Gotcha. Yeah. That, I mean that how big of a difference does that make for this UK team? Because I, like you mentioned, Carvassier Smoke's been around. He's made plays before. They have some other guys, but to me, it, it none of them are Chris Rodriguez in terms of being the total package. Yeah, I'm I'm a big Utah McLean fan. I, I maybe this opens the opportunity to where you go, wow, they've they've should have gotten this guy probably more touches. I get why they didn't because of Chris Rodriguez. I'll be honest with you, Rick. I, I think they're going to be just fine at the running back position. I say that telling you that I think Chris Rodriguez is a special player. Um, I thought Benny Snell was a special player, and Benny Snell was a difference maker. And when Benny Snell graduated, I thought, what are they going to do? And voila, they haven't skipped a beat. So I I, I don't think it's as big as, as I even want to make it out to be. I don't. And I, I guess the offensive line will play a role there, right, too. I mean, correct. part, of, part yes. of that's just going to depend on how well that unit holds up together. So yes. yeah, we'll see what happens. Finally, at 7.30 p.m., Ohio State will host Notre Dame in the biggest game of week one. Give me your top storyline for this Ohio State team as we start the season. Will they be held under 50 points in any game this season? Maybe this one. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Notre Dame's defense is pretty good. It's a good test for that Ohio State offense. But by all accounts, and we saw most of these guys last year, this Ohio State offense is as good as it gets in the country, I think. Oh, my Lord. I Honestly, I'm not... I'll be disappointed if this offense, maybe they don't get 50 every week, but I'll be disappointed if it doesn't average 45 points a game, 48 points a game. It's that good. Their overs are going to be a popular play. It's going to be interesting to see how big those weekly totals get for Ohio State team and then the overall for the game. On the flip side of that, though, I think for me the biggest storyline is the defense with new coordinator Jim Knowles, the former Oklahoma State defensive coordinator, it seemed like there was a feeling that they became too predictable last year. They gave up 35 in that loss to Oregon in week two. They gave up 42 in that loss at Michigan to end the regular season. And and they got run over. They got run over in that game. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's what cost them. The offense was very good last year too. The defense just wasn't there. I am intrigued to see what Jim Knowles brings. I think they have enough talent. We'll see if it's, if it's good enough, like national championship level talent, certainly good enough to be top four, top five in in uh, the preseason rankings and all of that. But will they be good enough to hold up and, and lead them to a national championship? Potentially, we'll find out. I, I do like the idea of Jim Knowles being less predictable. He's known for disguising coverages, disguising blitzes, all of that type of stuff. And I think a lot of people at Ohio State kind of felt that's what they needed after last year. Yeah, and if you look at Oklahoma State last year, um, as goofy as this sounds when you talk about a Big 12 team, they probably won more games with their defense than they did with their offense, which that's not Big 12-like, so that speaks volumes to me. Yeah, no, good point. Um, The other thing that is just going to be fun to watch is it feels very clear right now who the top two quarterbacks and thus 
Heisman candidates are heading into this year, and that's C.J. Stroud, the Ohio State quarterback, and Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. Bryce Young won Heisman last year. Going into the year right now, uh, Stroud is plus 200. Young is plus 250 to be the first overall pick in next year's draft. But if you're looking at the Heisman odds, it's Stroud plus 200, Young plus 350 to win the Heisman this year. So that's something that I'm definitely going to have my eye on is the week-to-week battle between those two guys. Is there uh, either one that that you're leaning towards right now, Skinny? I think I'm leaning towards C.J. Stroud. I just think the numbers have a chance to be astronomical. I mean, yeah. just astronomical. Well, and and you're talking about two two things that are a little bit different here, too, because I mean, if you're talking about NFL draft, then I think everyone's a little bit concerned about Bryce Young's size. Well, you, I mean, we've talked about, I mean, in theory, and this is this is going to change, but again, we just talked about Will Levis being the guy that a lot of scouts liked. Yeah, and I think part of that is, again, you get into it. Now, it seems like most of them have settled on C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. One of those two are quarterback one, the other one's quarterback two, and then Will Levis is probably quarterback three in this draft from what I've seen recently. But there was a point right after this past year's draft where a lot of those scouts had Will Levis right there in that mix. So that'll be something to watch over the first couple of weeks. But I do think if, if you're looking at the the NFL draft, it's a little bit different than looking at the Heisman odds, right. obviously. That's right. No, that's right. Yes. But even with the Heisman, I think Stroud gets a little bit of an edge, not just because of how dominant that Ohio State offense is going to be, but also because Young just won it. And that's all. I, I think there's always like it's tough to win that award twice. It is. No, that you're right. It is. I, I boy, I, I, CJ Stroud's going to throw 50 touchdown passes. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to argue with that. So, uh, all right. Anything else on any of these local teams before we get into our betting picks, where we'll talk about all three of these games? No, I mean, I, I think the, the the funny part is, you know. I don't think Kentucky's good enough to 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 usurp Georgia, but it's certainly in play. Um, we just talked about the potential for UC to run the table and maybe do this again, run this back. And obviously Ohio State, in any game, in my opinion, barring catastrophic injuries across the board and arguably is in that is is you know one of the two or three teams you have to pick for the national championship, it should be a, a I mean a great year if if you have a local rooting interest. Yeah, all these teams primed for good seasons, and uh, hopefully we might even see a couple of them in the college football playoff. Let's get into our betting pick, Skinny. NFL starts next week, so we'll incorporate the the Bengals into that, and uh, we might do it a little bit differently this year. I was thinking about maybe we'll just do the Bengals this year and then one more pick of the week and not do the all the primetime games to go with it, to sh- maybe shorten this segment up and uh, find something we like in there a little bit better. Sure. Um, but. For all the, we will do all the local teams again, and this year with the the college games to start it off, we've got Saturday three thirty. Well, hang on, hang on a second, Rick. We have to have you know we we didn't do this last. We have to have something on the line like a ears and wings. Do you want to do you want to have that? Yeah, well, I mean, technically, we did have that on the line last year. We just haven't seen each other in like well, two years point. because of COVID. So, um, so I don't so, think there was a payoff. Beers, oh. beers, and buy. So we'll do one for sure this year. Beers and wings at the choice of the winner. By the way, did we tie last year? weren't Weren't we like I think we were dead <laughs> on? I think we might have tied. I think that right. I think that might have been why there's no close. Play. I know yeah. it was close. I, sh- I probably should have looked at that. that was bad producing on my part. Yeah, I might should have looked up good. that record it's from all, last year. It's it's all fluff and, and whatever. Anyway, we're good. Yeah. Uh, all right, we will do uh, a, a day of of beers and wings in Lawrenceburg. That sounds like a plan. All right. Start off Saturday, 3.30 at Cincinnati at Arkansas. Arkansas is a six-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. The total is 52, Skinny. Yeah, I'm I'm leaning towards under, 
but yeah, I'm, I'm going to lean towards the other. I'm going to go UC 23-21. I'm taking UC as the outright winner in the under. All right, so you've got UC in the under 23-21. to I'm going to go Arkansas here, 31-24. And I like the over because, I again, I think it's going to be a rude awakening for UC fans and betters alike. Seeing UC being so used to them shutting everyone down, having those low-scoring games last year, I think everything's going to be a little bit higher scoring this year. So uh, we'll get that started this week. I'm going 31-24. I'm on Arkansas in the over. You're on UC in the under. So some good separation there. I like it. Saturday at 7 p.m., we've got Miami of Ohio, Jed Demusi's alma mater at your boys, the Big Blue, Kentucky. Minus 16 are the Wildcats. 54 is the total. I'm going to go UK 45, Miami 10. So Kentucky in the over for me. Love and honor, Jed. Yeah, we're, we're right on the same track with this one. I said Kentucky 45, Miami 14, UK in the over. But the... The big thing here is this is my favorite spread of the week, Skinny. I don't understand how Kentucky's only favored by 16. I'm kind of with you in that regard. Um, I mean, yeah. not even the field. It's not even two touchdowns on the field goal. It's Yeah, I, yeah, it feels very low to me as well. Um, and, I mean, I could have at least seen 20 maybe, you know, put it just under that, that 21 number. But Yeah, I could have too. I'm with you on that. Under 17 seems extremely low to me. I don't want the, I don't know what they know. If they felt like Chris Rodriguez being out and Jordan Wright being out, is that big of a deal for UK? But uh it, put it this way if Kentucky doesn't win this game by three touchdowns I'm I don't know if I'd have concerns because Mark Stoops kind of tends to get off to those slower starts sometimes but uh I'd be shocked yeah I would too I'm, I'm with you I, honestly I think you're right if, if I was going to give out a five-star best bet of the week I haven't looked at all the games but this would be right up there well I have and let me tell you that is by far my favorite game on the board which means uh, you should probably take my Miami to cover Saturday at seven. Hashtag fade Rick. Fade Rick B. That's right. Bring it back. Uh, Saturday seven thirty. You've got Notre Dame at Ohio State. The Buckeyes are a seventeen point favorite. The total is fifty nine. The hook. I'll go Ohio State forty five to twenty. So Ohio State in the over for me. All right. So you, you no, know. you know what? I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'll go forty. I was gonna say fifty two. I'll go forty five. I'll be conservative. Forty five twenty. 45 to 20. So you're on Ohio State, uh, 25 point spread there for you, and the over as well at 65. I'm going to go Ohio State 35, Notre Dame 17. So I'm on Ohio State as well, but I like the under in this one. And I know we just talked about how ridiculous that Ohio State offense is going to be. Uh, but looking at their schedule, there aren't a lot of teams that are going to be able to hold them in check. Notre Dame might be one of the few. I'm going to say this one ends up a little lower scoring. So OSU and the under, your uh, OSU and the over. Those are our picks for the week. Like I said, next week we will get into some NFL as that returns yes. as well. Yes, indeed. All right, time for some Ask Skinny Anything here. We've got a handful of questions. Let me All make right. sure nothing new has come in. No, all right, we're good. Lay them on me. Who takes more photos with people over a four-year period, Skinny? Coach Cal or the President of the United States? <laughs> I'm going to say the president of the United States, actually, but Coach Cal does like like him some. some I, I let me let me say this: as much as I've criticized Cal on this podcast, I don't know if I've told this story. So my wife and daughter, um, she was a UK student. My wife went down. It might have been for a football weekend or a it was one of the two. It was a football weekend or a basketball weekend, um, and they were around Memorial Coliseum, and they see this man walking a Shih Tzu. We have Shih Tzus walking the dog. 
and all of a sudden my daughter and wife kind of perk up and go it's john calipari and my daughter said would you mind taking a picture and he said absolutely and he did and he was she said he was very gracious and i can he's I, he is a bser he's good at that stuff but he, i i thought good for you dude you didn't have to do that i mean i i'm not a big I don't need a picture with famous guys, but she got a kick out of it. And I, I did too, to be honest with you. I'm like, good for you, man. He's good at that, but I'm still going to go to the president of the United States. He's really good at that. So initially I was like, you know, I'm thinking president of the United States, but then I started thinking about it and I'm like, the amount of people I know personally that I've seen in pictures with coach Cal on well, Facebook I just gave you, and, I, and I just media. gave you another one. I just gave right. you my kid. And don't get me wrong. I, I'm fully aware of the fact that coach Cal is local to us or at least regional to us. So right. we are going to see more of that than we would people being around the present. I, I fully understand that. But then I also started thinking about it. I'm like, Cal coach Cal does this pretty much nonstop wherever he goes. He doesn't really ever turn anyone down. The president of the United States, how many people are really allowed to get right, right up next to him, pose with him for a picture? I'm not talking about like selfies as he's walking through a crowd. I'm talking about like him taking a picture with someone. No, you know, it's asking, a, it's a I, fair, it's a I fair think Coach point. Cal might take more. Yeah, I just think the president's got more photo ops at, at his disposal than Cal does. But you might be right. Maybe you're right. That's a great – it is a great question. <laughs> it's a great question. I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's a really good one, actually. I at first, It seems obvious that it's the president, but then I start thinking about it, and I was like, I, I don't know. I'd love to hear the math on that. Well, I know in my household we've got one, so there we go. Yeah, it's one It's one nothing if you're counting the Skinners. That's, that's correct. Uh, have you heard – oh, okay. So uh, I've got some sound to go with this. Um, have you heard – that you sound like Adam Schefter before. Have you ever gotten that sketch? Me? Yes. I've never gotten that. You've never been told that? No. That's funny. Basically, you're watching it, <laughs> and the only thing I could think of is he just assaulted that guy. Assault. He assaulted mm-hmm. him. So, assault. C- can you give us an assault? Can you say assault? Assault. 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 Do you agree with that point? Um... Assault. I'll be honest. I didn't at first. I didn't really hear it at first, but... I did a little bit of deep dive into Adam Schefter segments on YouTube, and I, I got to be honest, it's I, I can kind of hear it a little bit. I, I think I'd probably talk to you too much to really be all in on this, but for people who don't hear you all the time, I, I guess I could kind of see it. Well, so that, 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 that's confirmation then, because I hate Adam Schefter's voice and I hate Assault. my own voice. So there's there's confirmation there that, that that's probably correct. Assault. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I think it's uh, I, I can kind of see it. I'll, I'll say that for our guy, Paul. He he said he, he thinks you sound dead on. So, OK, well, maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I never thought of it before, but I'm not necessarily discounting it either entirely. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I, I hate his voice and I hate my own voice. So maybe there's equal hate for reason. There you go. Uh, Mo says, if you wager on the Little League World Series, is it time to take a step back? No, I, I think wagering on the Little League World Series is is fine. I, wagering on preseason football is not fine in my. Oh opinion. come, come on! You're just saying that because I admitted to ma- wagering on preseason football. You did, and I, 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 my, my first wager was last week, and I, I completely abstained. Although I did put together a parlay that included Bengals minus two and a half last week that didn't hit. That's beautiful. Yeah, no, I I mean, I get it. I'm with you on the preseason football thing. I think that is definitely a sign that's like, hey, I've got a problem. But it's Listen, also it's also a problem if you're like betting all the time, you know? Yes. I mean? Well, there, there's that. Listen, I, I did not place a wager on the Little League World Series. I would say this. 
Hopefully there are not player props for the Little League World Series. It's okay to bet on Tennessee or Hawaii or or Taiwan or whoever you think is going to win that day. Basically, but if there are player props, then we, then we've got an issue. I mean, think about the things that have happened in the Little League Little League World Series, though, like Danny Almonte. Right. That, I, I have to imagine there's been some people betting on those games in the past. I'm, I'm guessing that as well. You know, Rick. Back in the day when, when it was a big deal to go to the Kentucky State Tournament, and, and it was a big deal. It's not quite the same anymore. It's a little different. You're not going to incriminate anyone here, are you? No, I'm not, but there was a lot of gambling involved on those games, my friend. I've heard about a couple of uh, hotel rooms in particular that, that were uh, well attended late at night. In fact, I think somebody got busted for bookmaking those games, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Oh, the best part is it's like, you know, people that everyone around here knows too that that's were correct. doing that, that, it. So that, that's correct. But no, even before those guys, there were other people's rooms you could go to to to, to place bets. Because I've done it. <laughs> Trust me, I've done it. That's fantastic. No, I, I'm I actually disagree with you though. I think the Little League World Series is a sign that you might need to take a step back. Yeah, like I said, I didn't I didn't place a wager on it, but I got I'm good with it. If they're gonna put a lineup, I'm now. I'm not so sure, and I would say this for my guy Ben Baby from ESPN because he loves him some cricket, and he talks about cricket all the time. Um, I think you're a degenerate if you go bet cricket when you don't know anything about cricket. Or Russian table tennis. Yeah, I like the guys who uh, gamble on Russian table tennis or like um, Korean basket, women's basketball. Right. Right. Things like that. What was, what was our team from over there that we liked? Remember them? The beer nuts or the beer slugs? Or the no, beer? I, I think it was uh, the Korean <laughs> Korean beer or something, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah. 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 But then I found out that was like actually part of like their their name. And then they they were like the bears. They were yes, actually the yeah. bears, not the beers. Yeah. We liked them as the beers. Yeah. I liked it as the beer better too. Um, you can go to, oh, you can go on any game show of your choice. What are you playing? Um, Probably hundred thousand dollar pyramid or Jeopardy. Uh, I I can run the table in some Jeopardy categories. My problem is when you get to the one about science or art, I got no chance. Je- got- Je- Je- you don't want to do Jeopardy, man. Oh, a- dude, I can I can run the table on some categories in Jeopardy, man. I- I'm not saying you can't, and I fully believe you. But Jeopardy is the one that can really make you look bad. No question. Like I said, if you get me into a science category or an art category, I got no shot, bro. Well, I- and it's not it's not even that so much as just. Your guarantee, I most game shows you're going up against losers who have nothing better to do with their time than attend that's, a game that, show. That's a that's a legit point. Jeopardy, you're going up against legit geniuses for the most part. Although, although my my favorite scene in in uh, White Men Can't Jump, obviously, is Woody Harrelson's girlfriend Rosie Perez going on going on, and that's what she that she studied all the whole time to go on that show and win a bunch of cash. Shout out to Rosie Perez. Indeed. Um, no, I, I'm a big hundred thousand dollar pyramid fan. I I always love that show. Uh, skinny thoughts on every outfitter having mostly slim or skinny pants style for the available fits compared to the baggier style of pants in the 2000s and the 90s. I didn't like the the, the baggy style in the 90s. I know that was probably you, right? You had the baggy the, the baggy jeans. Uh, well, yeah, we were like the 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 overly like the way 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 too baggy stuff. Yeah, when I was with, in your, high school. With, with, with your starter jacket, right? Yeah, well, the the two X t shirts that everyone oh, yes, correct. Awful. Yeah, that that yeah. awful, absolutely awful. I, I'll be honest with you, the styles of the of the of the two thousands have been pretty good, except the mom jeans have come back, and I'm just not a fan. Oh, bro. I'm just it's not so a, bad. It here's the thing: it makes even slim women look fat. It's weird. <laughs> Am I right? It's so true. I like it's just dumpy. 
just don't yes. like it makes your physique look terrible. And like, here's the thing. Everyone's going to get on. it. They're not dressing for you or not. Well, that, that's, that, that's fine. fine. But like everyone here wants to look good. They want to look as flat. They want to look more flattering when they put on clothes. Like no one dresses up with the idea of thinking, I hope people think I look worse than usual today. Yes. <laughs> and I hate to tell you, anyone who's wearing mom jeans looks worse than usual. They do. And I know some attractive women who are looking go, why are you doing that? That's no, you no. And, and I know you're not trying to impress me and I'm not looking for you to impress me, but you're so good looking. What are you doing looking like that? Yeah. Now, as far as the men's slim, skinny pants style, yeah. I think it's I think it's good that we've moved in this direction where like the norm is like a well-fitted pant. That, yeah, is, that is a I, good thing instead of like I a like loose it. baggy I, thing. Yeah, I'm I'm just big on normal, comfortable. Just just you know whatever your whatever your waist size is into the length of the of the inseam and all of that. I don't need it to to narrow out down by your shoes. That just yeah. doesn't. I'm sorry, that doesn't look right. Well, that's the 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 issue we have is all these like capri pants that they're like essentially yeah. making for men, or the ones where they're just like literally spandex around the guy's calves. I mean, that that looks bizarre, especially on guys who are like 30 years old or older. Yes, correct. Yeah, We're, no, we're seeing too many adults wear these things, and it's like, yes. man, I don't care how in shape you are or you think you are, how cool you still think you are. That's a bad look. Yes. Yeah. I would say for most men, take Jay Wright as, a, as, as, as your style guide. It's hard to match <laughs> Jay Wright, but he's a pretty good style guide. Yeah, just wear $2,000 suits everywhere you go, and you'll be fine. <laughs> Exactly. Now he's, that's the thing though. He's got the perfect like body type for that. It, it hangs well on him. It hangs perfectly on him. Well, yeah. And he's a, he's a big quarter zip guy too, which we're yes, right. obviously fans of. I'm a huge, I mean, you, you can style a three or a, or a quarter zip and, and you can also hide some things with the quarter zip. That's why I love it. It's my, it's my go-to thing guy. Yep. Oh, I, I'm with you. Uh, in honor of labor day, give the top three jobs you have ever held and the worst job you ever held. Um, the worst job I ever held, it was probably my first. I worked at Johnny's Car Wash on Dixie Highway where I would climb into the car. This was when I was 15 years old. I would climb into the back seat of the car to do the interior windows, and you'd, you'd finish the day just soaking wet, making $2.30 an hour. Oh, yeah, that sounds horrible. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. Um, the top three jobs, I guess it would be the one I have now because it pays me, so that, that, has, to rank, that has to rank up there. Um I've yeah, I mean, I've been in the media my whole life and it's it's crumbling around me. So I don't know if any uh, covering UK, I really enjoy when I worked at the post. I mean, part of it is I'm a grad and it's hard to write for a team. You, you have to really I'm not going to pat myself on the back for this, but you got to really be professional to write about a team that you actually enjoy um, and, and and kind of root for as a grad. So that that took a lot of professionalism on my part. Um and I guess when I was sports director at the Po, I, I I enjoyed being in charge. I was sports editor slash director of the of the Kentucky Post in the late '90s before I took the UK beat. They kind of switched me out of that role after I almost threatened to punch an editor. So um, <laughs> uh, I've told that story on this podcast before. I'm not going to revisit that story this that's time. Don't make it less funny. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Um, uh, so yeah, I I did enjoy that. I enjoy and and the thing was I well, I enjoy the people. The, the one thing that that I enjoy about the the Bengal stuff is I enjoy the people I'm in the room with every day. It's just a good group of people for the most part. We have a good time cutting up with each other. And this is kind of the same on that Kentucky beat. There were just a lot of uh, good people on that beat. Uh, Jerry Tipton, um, who just retired, longtime uh, writer for the Herald Leader. Uh, John Clay is still their columnist. Matt May, who now works for the university, but he worked for the Cat's Paws then, is still a friend of mine. Uh, Pat Forty was on that beat. 
to some degree, he was a columnist in the Courier Journal, just a good crew to, when, when you would get to March and you'd be with these people for, you know, basically a month, it was, it was, it was a good crew. I wouldn't be doing my job here if I, I didn't follow up here. Most people, I would say, probably recognize you the most from Two Angry Guys and being on Sports Talk Radio. Where do you rank that? Um, I, I enjoy it. And, Tom, and for those that don't think we are, Tom and I are still friends. We, we talk to each other literally every day. Um, and I enjoyed that. I, But I was working a newspaper job at that point. I was also then working at Turfway Park for a period of time. And so getting up at four o'clock in the morning after working until midnight was not enviable. It was really hard, but I did enjoy, I, I enjoyed it because I always wanted to do that. And I did it for 13 years and thought we did it pretty well. Um, I, I don't, it's funny though, Rick, I don't, you're going to, you're going to hate me for this. And I don't miss it. As goofy as that sounds, I don't miss getting up. I don't miss the pressure of performing every day. I enjoy being a guest on a lot of those shows. Now I love doing this with you every week because it's a great week outlet. And you and I do this for about you know, 60 to 90 minutes. And um, then I'm done three hours or four hours every day, five days a week. I know, listen, this ain't digging ditches, but it, it, it there's a lot of pressure involved. It, it, well, I think there's a whole nother level with the hours thing there. When you're doing that, that morning slot, it just, it changes. And in some regards, ruins your life to a certain extent yes. outside of just that one job that you're doing. Like everything else in your life takes a back seat or is somehow thrown off by that job at that point. So it is. It's just something that has a limited shelf life, I think, for well, I, I'll be it. honest with you. This is this is no I, I mean this sincerely. I think I told this story the other day. I think we were talking about this with some, with some friends of mine. The day after I got let go, I can remember I slept in a and B when I woke up, it felt like somebody untied a corset from around my back and chest and all the pressure in the world just went out for a while. It was it was really the literally the weirdest feeling I've ever had in my life of whoo. That was a hell of a run on a treadmill for a long time. That's and because that's what it felt like. I don't want to compare the the different, obviously, but during basketball season when I'm I doing know where you're, I know where Xavier you're and NKU yes. and doing the overnights, it does sometimes feel like I'm just putting my head underwater for about three months and hoping I don't drown. You know, it's no, like, I, I, dude, I know exactly where you're coming from. I mean, you and I've laughed about this. There's about two times a year in that time frame where you forget about this podcast because you're sleeping through it and I'll send you a text message <laughs> and you're always embarrassed. I'm like, dude, you don't have to be, a, I get it. I know where you're coming from, bro. Yeah. But I just mean like, I, I kind of get that feeling of like that after that last day where you're in it, you're fine. You love doing it, all that stuff. And then after that last day of the season or whatever, it's kind of like, oh, wow. I didn't realize yeah. how much of a relief it was to just have some sleep and have a normal day. So. And I'm kind of like that when, when late February comes, when the Bengal season is over and, and I had to take coaching off my plate this year because I was probably juggling too many balls again, like I do. And it, again, you don't do it if you don't enjoy it, but at the same time, it doesn't mean it, it's not a lot of pressure and there's not a lot of hours and you don't feel like every day is the next day. And the next day is the third day from here. And that day's from there. And you're waiting for this and you're waiting for that. And you wake up, it's late February. You go, Whew, thank goodness. Yeah. Now, let me be clear that I cannot stand when media people talk about like how hard their job is no, or what's I wrong with them. like oh, we love doing this stuff like we wouldn't we wouldn't be here doing it if we didn't. So that's not what I'm trying to come off as. But I, I, I completely get where you're coming from on that point. All right. Well, this is kind of on the same topic. So we'll wrap up with one more here. As a legit longtime journalist, Skinny, how do you feel about the rise of fly by night Twitter personalities that desire to share news, many times speculative or not accurate? with the public and how will this affect journalism moving forward in your opinion? I, I think in a very negative way, um, 
there, there are too many voices out there, and I don't mean that in a bad. Listen, if you're able to break news and be legit, good for you. If you're able to to cover news and be legit, good for you. But there are too many of those things, and so then, then, then the truth and then the accuracy um, gets way, gets gets completely thrown to the wayside, and so you don't know who to trust, and you don't know what to trust, and you don't know what outlet to go to, and that's why the demise of the print newspaper really bothers me because. Whether you liked what they did or not, there was an authoritative voice of that regard. You could disagree with it. You could um, you could want them to cover something different or better or more, and all those things are fair. But now there's just so many voices that everybody literally is drowned out, I think. Don't you think the newspaper industry has has cost themselves as much as anything during that time, though? They've become less authoritative and less of a trusted source? Yes, but I, again, I, I think some of that is some of that is their their you're right. Some of that is their own demise. That I I was always a big believer back when I was in the newspaper business that they didn't um, cover communities as well as they should have. That they were trying to win awards more times than not. That they thought what what they thought was important really wasn't important to the community, and they kind of lost lost that in my opinion. And shame on them uh, for that. But again. You know, it just it's just the way of the world today. Of you have so many different ways to to consume news, be it Twitter, be it, I mean, hell, even Instagram. People want to tell their Instagram story to you know to to these pod. To, I mean, everybody's got a podcast these days, which is fine. I mean, you can choose to listen or not listen. But I think if there's so many voices out there, there there just isn't that. I mean, it used to be the sports columnist in town was the voice, right? Um, and whether you liked that or not, it was the voice to either agree with or disagree with, but it was the voice, and that person had probably earned that voice. Um, you know, whether you like Paul Doherty or not, he had earned the right to be that voice. You can disagree with him all you want, and that's, that part is always fair, and he'd be the first to tell you that. Um, but now there's just not that voice, because everybody has the voice. And people can say, well, that's a great thing. I don't know if it is. That doesn't bother me as much. People having more like more voices being out there, more podcasts, more people giving opinions and creating interesting content. And and obviously that's a key part of it. Creating well, yes, interesting right. content is a big part of that. But I don't think that's a big issue where I see a big issue that I don't think many people are aware of right now, or they're really going to start to feel the effects in a few years or maybe several years down the road is there's too many aggregators and copiers and people yes. just regurgitating the work that the journalists or the beat writers or what have you are doing. And what I mean by that is like, there's all these, you know, just Twitter accounts or, or Instagram accounts that are just uh, screenshotting what you do or just taking what you do from your website, lifting it and putting it into a bite-sized tweet, something like that, which is okay, fine. It's, it's all fair on the internet. I get it. There's like, it's really hard to hold on to your, even when I put stuff behind a paywall with my Xavier site, there's like 16 different Xavier Twitter accounts and right. other places that want to report what I'm putting out there. And they just put it out there it is what it is. But at some point, what's going to happen is a site like mine is a perfect example where I'm covering Xavier, which is a very niche audience. I don't know how much longer it's even going to be covered by the Enquirer and your traditional right. media well, the outlets because the athletic, uh, yeah, the athletic started and didn't and didn't you know they didn't right. get enough traffic to continue it. It's not worth their time, and fortunately, right now it is for the Enquirer. But we'll see how long that continues to be the case, or if that job will get split up amongst other things because they're kind of already doing that to Adam. What what happens when okay, well, the Enquirer says it's not worth our time, and then for me, it's like, well, look not enough people are subscribing because a lot of people are just taking my stuff and putting it out on Twitter. And there's like 16 different accounts that are all quote unquote covering Xavier. 
okay, well now there's no no one actually doing the daily beat writing anymore because it's just it just doesn't make enough money. We all wanted to go do something smarter with our time. Well, who are you all going to aggregate and copy from then? Well, that's it, the it, issue. It, I just like it's hard to get started if you're not doing it. A lot of these people are doing other things to make their money, and they're just building up these social media profiles in their spare time and thinking like, oh, this is great. The more the merrier for our for our team or what are our niche audience. But the problem is when there's going to be no more original creators making that content, who are you going to copy? Who are you going to aggregate from? Yeah, no, and I think that's a great point. I, I've, I've often talked to, to guys on the, on the battles on the Bengals beat that I'm, I'm with and, and a lot of people live tweet a practice or live tweet a press conference. Listen, if somebody makes legitimate news in one of those things, like real big time news, I'll tweet that out. But I'm not live tweeting a press conference. I'm not live tweeting a practice because at that point, if I've given you all the news on Twitter, I'm trying to get the clicks for our website because that's how I get get paid in theory, right? So why am I giving it away? And I've always, why are you giving that away for free? Well, my boss wants me to do it. I get that, but your boss also needs to understand that it's probably costing you clicks as well. That if honestly, if we went radio silent at a regular Bengals practice until we wrote something and 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 then linked back to whatever sites we have. I guarantee you the traffic would be better for all of us. Yeah. And it'd also be more interesting to actually hear like well thought out takes on what happened at practice, all of that. But instead the way the news cycle works now is you have to get something up. You have to put it out there as fast as possible. You have to, you know, all that. And so everything's just kind of half-assed all of the time. And instead yes. of getting really good stuff, which no, I'm with that's, you. A, that's unfortunate. I tried to avoid it myself as much as possible when I'm doing my thing. Cause kind of the way that business business model works with a paywall is a little bit different, but I see the same things happening. And I think there's going to be trouble, especially for some of the more niche things like the NFL, the Bengals, there's always going to be money and for somebody to cover that. But like some of the things like the small college teams and all that, where you've only got one or two people left covering it on a regular basis. I don't know how much longer that's going to last for a lot of places. No, I, I, I think that's a fair point. That's a great point. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. All right. Well, happy gambling this weekend, everybody. Good luck to you. Hopefully, Rick and I gave you some winners. Um, at least one of us did, because I think we were opposite in just about everything we did other than the Kentucky game. So that's yeah, exactly. interesting. Sorry. Thanks for the questions as well. You can do it each week. Just go to Twitter, hit the hashtag, ask Skinny Anything. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope Edition.